0: Welcome back, everybody. Time once again for another episode of Church Hurts and the good, the bad, and the ugly about church, religion, and spirituality today, with a dash of recovery thrown in along the way. So if you've ever had questions about your faith, your church, or maybe the whole idea of religion, you come to the right place. Today, we're going to do part two of a story that you're going to want to Hear and share the stories that come out of old London town, some of which wrap their heads around slaves and grace and bedlam and all sorts of crazy things. So sit back and enjoy it with our host, honors philosophy graduate, ordained Presbyterian minister, Dr. John Bash, who's planted three churches along the way, He's also a teaching pastor at a megachurch now, well, he's that aging curmudgeon we all know, the guy you invite to holidays, who immediately starts asking the one question on everybody's mind, why, why not bring him in? Dr. John Bash, welcome, sir. Thank you, Paul.
1: What a treat we have to hold over Ben Virgo. Wow, we've just heard some stories from him in our last show, and and we didn't get enough, Ben, and I just thank you for coming back, and Ben is a, he's a pastor. Um, he's a scholar in my eyes. He gives a tour in London that will change your life. If you ever get to London and you don't go on this tour, you'll basically miss London from my perspective, <laughs> and two years ago, he showed me around, and so now I'm asking him just to continue. We we talked about the guy who wrote Amazing Grace and the crazy story, a slave trader uh, who ended up becoming a Christian. And and at it, it church, hurts. We're kind of honest about the fact that there's there are two sides to things, you know. And so Ben, I, I kind of want to push you a little bit towards mm. the fact that in London, you guys have a a messy thing going on. You want to talk about how it affected the world in a good way. But when people look at church and they say hurts, you want to talk about where a lot of Christians sit there and fight with each other, mm. not even other religions. It was a bloody place. T- mm. Tell me about this whole monarchy thing
2: you guys are into and how that <laughs> mixes with church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, the, 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 it's a funny thing when people come over to this country and talk to us about uh, the Queen. And they, they're all fascinated with the Queen. And uh, and when is the Queen going to get her hands off the church? <laughs> <laughs> and the funny thing is, I'm sorry to say that the the, uh, the, the um, it's a very difficult thing to understand how the Anglican church works in this country because uh, it is a, an organization which owns more land than any other organization in this country. I think even more than McDonald's. But but the tragedy is, although the Anglican Church was begun uh, as a Reformation movement, as a movement to tell people that you can be free in Jesus, unfortunately, uh, it uh, it it then uh, as as soon as you start adding (laughs) physical things to churches, it often doesn't take long before. Uh, there's some kind of controversy, there's some kind of friction, as I'm sure you and many of your listeners would know. But before, uh, before you get into
1: the land thing, let's just get into the fact that we really assume in America this separation of church and state, we, that's kind of in our blood. We course. think that's just the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. And one gets out of this country and you begin to discover most of the world doesn't have separation of church and state, and you sure don't. The queen mm. is the head of the church. What's that about? <laughs>
2: yeah. Sadly, the the queen is the head of the Anglican church, and unfortunately, the Anglican church is such a strange body. Many people who work for the Anglican church are not people who believe the gospel. If you go to a regular—a uh, some a lot of them do, and I have interviewed people— who have been Anglican ministers for our own podcast, Uh, but I've heard them tell me things like, look, when I decided I wanted to go into ministry, uh, my vicar tried to discourage me, saying, why would you want to do this? (laughs) Because there's no actual uh, belief. It's more about showing up, singing songs. It's (laughs) more about... uh, saying the words on a liturgy it's almost like the poetry and people go into a building and they say i feel something in this building and those of us who are not anglicans say you probably feel cold it's just it's completely irrelevant to what christianity is and so the great number I, I think probably the majority of people who actually believe the bible don't go to anglican churches in this uh, city uh, or in this in this land and have nothing to do with uh Uh, the queen or her oversight of any church okay but wait wait okay let me go on a bunny trail i'm in london
1: you said the bible and i say well how in the world did we get that bible is there any place i can go in london
2: to find out about maybe people dying in the bible (laughs) yes as it happens very proud to have the middle name paul which is the name of your producer Uh, Paul, being such a great man, and you have the name John, after people who have, uh, that great man, John, who believed the gospel, is another great thing, I'm very proud to live in a city which has brought forth uh, John Wycliffe and William Tyndale, men who translated the Bible from Latin and from Greek into English, so that people could understand the gospel, but who both, in their time, were persecuted by the church. Men what was their said, time? Put, put us in time frame. When was this? Yeah, so John Wycliffe in 1377 was put on trial at St. Paul's Cathedral in London uh, in a rather hilarious trial that <laughs> ended with a riot and he escaped. And, uh, and William Tyndale in 1526 translated the Bible from the Greek. And he was. Uh, they they burned. They burned William Tyndale's. Wait, Bibles. wait, wait, wait. Okay. So we're talking about a trial, a trial because the guy was translating the Bible, because he was translating it so that people could read it. Yeah. You got to un- understand that the freedoms that we now have to to protest, to vote, uh, to to read, to study, are not always have not always been the freedoms that we have now. If you think about the uh, think about the freedoms you might have in Saudi Arabia to go and say, "I'd like to translate the Quran into another language." You might not be welcome. <laughs> and uh, similarly, in London, when uh, when John, when William Tyndale said, "Look, the trouble is the people think that all the Bible's about is religion. The people think it's literally about singing songs and buildings. They don't understand that it's about a living savior. And so uh, William Tyndale said, uh, "We need to translate it so that people can read it." And the church came out against him. In the end, he died at a stake, and uh, he uh, he was he was strangled. And he he burned at a stake in Belgium. Mm. But his so last, the last. Yeah, yeah.
1: So when we when we talk about church hurts, we're talking about no 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 church kills. The church was actually killing people over the issue of the Bible. Yes. and not just that but there was more in in fact there's a whole book about all the people
2: that the church killed right yeah that's right that's right jack it's and it's hard reading fox's book of martyrs yeah I tell you what it's not a book which many people finish as you read heart wrenching and gut wrenching stories of men and women tortured in this city and then taken to Smithfield, uh, one dear lady, Anne Askew, age of 25, the first woman to be tortured in the Tower of London, so horribly tortured that her joints were ripped out when they pulled her arms and legs and she could no longer walk. So they carried her to Smithfield and there she was offered a king's pardon if she recant. But she said, no, I, I, I have not come here to deny my lord and master. And they set fire to her and it took her 15 minutes to die. These are people who have not just been uh, offended by the church. Having said that, Jack, we need to differentiate between the church and the church. As I was implying earlier, the Anglican church in this country is very likely. If you go to an Anglican church here, you will sit through a service and find no one in that place actually believed in Jesus. But they like going along. They like the show. They like the song. These things are not new there is the church which actually believes the gospel and seeks to enjoy and glorify God. and there are church buildings. Interestingly, in this town, many of those church buildings are now flats uh, or as you call them you would call them apartment blocks because no one goes to them because they, ne- they stopped preaching about Jesus. For some of us, um,
1: in our extent of American history you know, basically taught us that in England they weren't allowed to worship God the way they wanted to. And so then they came here, and, um, they, you know, they got mad. They came on some ship called the Mayflower, and then they had Thanksgiving with the Indians, and then the King of England got mad, and he taxed the tea too much, and so we had a revolution. Um, can, oh. could, could you give us the other side, the look at the other side of, from England why, again, did they get on these ships in that kind of perilous time and risk mm. everything and leave
2: yeah. everything to come here? It's a, that's a very interesting question. And I will answer by saying, let's go back to first principles. What's going on behind what we can see? Well, probably, uh, so, so far as, let me propose that God is behind things, but also that there is an antagonist who wants to attack everything he's doing. Now, when they came over uh, on the Mayflower, uh, in the season prior to their coming over, the church had seen beautiful growth. It had seen uh, uh, the preaching of the truth. It had seen the growing of actual gospel-believing churches in a way that people still look back at as a great golden era. And we see the devil attacking that. And we see that these very people, many of whom were very loyal to the crown, had sought to to uh, encourage uh, loyalty to the crown, but at that same time there was there were machinations inside of corridors of power that wanted Anglicanism to rule. The, the free Bible-believing Christians were told, you must be silent or join us, and many of them said, no, we, we're not going to join you, and uh, that was so there wasn't only uh, yes there was a significant persecution Jack there was a significant persecution of believers and many of them decided to go to America to start a, a like a new kind of uh, a new world a new Jerusalem a freedom where they, a place where they could worship funnily enough Jack I would propose to you and I think some of your listeners would be interested to consider I think at that time many of our great pioneers left we're now a nation of complainers and <laughs> and when we see great pioneers from america who are, are the ones who say how about we try this how about we try that and it's not very british <laughs> they left behind people who just sit there and complain and find fault <laughs> Now, the only other time i
1: was in england before the time i was with you was about 25 years prior and met with just uh, some people who actually were into soccer football i guess you call it over there and around the um, dinner conversation one man said we owe so much to you americans you've taught us so much about freedom and it just made my head you know on it like on a swivel go around it's like you learn freedom from i mean i'm thinking of john locke and i'm thinking of the english common law and all the basis of freedom that we really get in america that was it really did come from england Mm -hmm. in many ways they lost it but then I was also struck about how international London really is. Mm. The English accents coming out of Indians and Africans and Asians. And they all seem to own the city as if it was theirs. And I asked someone about it and they said, well, they're British. Mm. And they went on to explain that many of the countries associated with Mm. this British Empire and some of the colonialization, which we had stereotyped as being so bad, people were very proud of their association and their identity together, is that true regarding the church? How, how
2: did that really play out? Which element? The the the, the international? This, element?
1: The, yeah, the the you know colonization. The stereotype is it was just about economics and power and all that kind of stuff, but there was also some church stuff going on in the midst of it as well.
2: Hmm. The impact of colonial colonization. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The impact has uh, has been extraordinary for our time. Uh, there was a... I imagine, when you first came to London, I, I wonder how similar what you saw was to what you had imagined. Because when you see a film about uh, London, about England, you see sweet villages, you see uh, wide streets with uh, quaint decor. But now, as I uh, said on the earlier episode, it is like the place where i live now we are the few part of the few non-bangladeshi people on our estate the, the people who have come over from the other countries are the fruit of the, the colonization interestingly many of them jack have come because of the same the same expectation and they've come expecting to be in a place like westminster where everything is sweet and i was talking we were talking to a lady who was from bangladesh and uh, she was saying that uh, her husband runs a market stall. And uh, it's a very, very humble market stall on the side of the road. But when she speaks to her mother uh, back in Bangladesh on the phone, her mother was saying, what's that noise in the background? And she said, oh, it's our servants. It's our servants. But the fact is, uh, there's, a, there's an idea of England, which is so far from reality. Uh, and one of the great tensions in our time, Jack, is... Uh, is a lot of people harking back to that time and wishing for it again. Frankly, I don't think it ever really existed apart from on the on the screens of cinemas. It's, and the-
1: it's come on. You're telling me that Charles Dickens and Mary Poppins weren't a sufficient <laughs> category for for England. Um, it's true. I mean, honestly, it really is true. Uh, that's the way we thought it was, and so proper. And to see the degree. The international nature and smell and feel of that city just absolutely um, blew me away. The yeah. first time I was there, I was looking for somebody who looked English. And I was quite shocked. It was like, really, is anybody here English? Yeah. And the second time, not so much, maybe because we got near some of the financial districts and, and also we did the typical tourist thing. I have you as the tour guide. I think what you do with your life just so you didn't even tell me until the end what you do here's the
2: english preacher how how do you spend your days Mm. Well, we have been planting a church here on our uh, housing estate, the projects, as you would call it, uh, for, for 10 years. But uh, the people around us, as I say, they're, they're Muslims and they don't pay me. So uh, I have to do something for money. And uh, I was absolutely delighted to be invited to, uh, to help begin an organization called Christian Heritage London, and for which I I take tours through the streets of London and to the places where world-changing events happened, which depended on the gospel of Jesus. And also to the British Museum. In the British Museum, we have items which were seen and held by Bible characters and which speak of incredible moments in the, the history of the world. And it's a great delight to draw people's attention to them. I think sometimes people think uh, uh, Christianity is uh, is essentially a behavior system. Just try your hardest, be a Christian. They sort of go together. They don't realize trying your hardest is is uh, is an affront to God because he doesn't say, oh, try your hardest. He says, look, you think you can get my favor by trying okay, your hardest? Okay, you know? but...
1: But trying hard, come on, let's get back to what you do. You gotta try really hard. You're trying to start a church Uh in a city filled with like the oldest churches in the world, it seems almost, not quite. Mm. But you're trying
2: to start it with a Muslim population. Frankly, it's been hard, it's been slow. One thing which has happened, though, has been... uh, I don't know if you have it in America. We're having a global pandemic here. uh, Yeah, yeah. And what's happening is as a result of that, it's no one can go to church. And as a result, we're conducting our little services on Zoom. As a result, we are able to have more people join us because they don't have to walk in. And we are regularly having Muslim ladies in there uh, looking out through their, their face, their head coverings. And we're having local people... One thing which we believe does make a difference is love. And these people, they get to see Christians among them. And if we truly are enjoying, delighting in, and <laughs> grateful for Jesus, it looks different to them. And especially Muslims who believe that they have to do a lot of things to impress God. When they're around people who say, oh, we didn't do anything, he did it all, and we're grateful and they see. hang on, so you, you also believe in a God, but you're not completely beaten down in, de- in um, despair. Well, so I hope and we pray for them a great deal and we, sh- we try to show them love. My wife teaches a life skills course to the ladies around us. And then we get close to these poor ladies and we find out, my goodness, so your husband beats you. So he doesn't let you have the money in the house. And so, and then you realize, oh, I see Islam. It's not necessarily the good news, the religion of peace. And uh, so we get to tell them another, another way. And we pray that uh, over time we will see uh, people turning from, uh, from, from darkness into, into the truth and light that comes through only through Jesus. You know, Ben, before we go,
1: you know, we, we do want to remember you. And um, seriously, if anybody is near London, I hope they get to meet you and, and uh, walk around with you. Well, we started by talking about a slave trader. And I'd kind of like you to end with you telling us something else about that guy, because he wrote Amazing Grace, who was an amazing man. But on his, uh, on his way home, he would walk by a place called Bedlam. And I didn't know before you pointed out to me, I, I thought it was, that was just a word that meant craziness. To tell us about that guy, and I'll wrap us up.
2: Yeah, yeah. We, uh, we walked up a street up which John Newton used to walk every day. Uh, John Newton and his wife couldn't have children, but they adopted his wife's uh, niece when her parents died. And, um, and they adopted another niece. So they had these two little girls at home. But uh, later, when one of the girls died, and when John Newton's wife died, this, this one little girl, this girl, Betsy, she was now a, a young woman, she became so terrified of death having lost her parents and her surrogate mother and surrogate sister, that she was diagnosed insane. And at that time, if you were diagnosed insane, it was almost like a criminal conviction because she was taken from John Newton and she was locked up in what was called Bethlehem Mental Hospital, but was known as Bedlam. Uh, it was a horrible place where people would be chained to the wall. It was a j- shrieking. And they used to sell tickets to go and have dinner go and watch the mad people for the amusement. It was really an unpleasant place. But every day, John Newton would walk up the street to Bedlam and would stand under her window. And he would stand and wave and he would wave and he would wave and he would, wave, and he would not leave until he saw Betsy's handkerchief in the window. Now, the reason I love that story is because the people about whom I tell stories every day, they were world changers. And people look at them and say, well, didn't they do well? Of course, nothing to do with me. I'm not a world changer. I'm a regular person. But what does Jesus say about uh, great things? Well, what Jesus says is if you're faithful with the small things, you'll be faithful with the great as well. And if you read the lives of these people, if you read the lives of John Newton, William Wilberforce, Charles Spurgeon, George Whitfield, you'll find they were faithful with the small things. So John Newton would stand under the window and wave. And uh, often when no one was looking, in the rain, until he lost his eyesight, he was up there standing under that window and waving. Now, I, I think that's an important story, Jack, because, as I say, many of us, many of us, I can imagine... Uh, especially like where you're living now. People have come up from countries where they don't even speak English. They come, they feel like I'm not, I'm not even, uh, how can I expect to make a difference to anything? Let me just remind you, the people who've changed everything were faithful with the small things. They were faithful with the small things. And people who have been hurt by churches often, been what's been most painful was they were being faithful with small things, and they were not noticed, and it all went wrong. And now they don't, they don't do anything, and the tragedy there is the water gets poured in, and then it doesn't get poured out, and there becomes stagnation. Well, here was a man who just kept giving, kept giving, and in the end, she was released, and she cared for him in his old age, and um, wow. Yeah, wow, that's wow, a beautiful wow. story for us.
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, Ben, I could just listen to you all day. I so want to thank you uh, for joining us here. Before we go, I'd like to take a moment to say a word about perspective. You know, Ben, on the Christian Heritage Tour, you gave me a perspective of London that I simply never would have had if I hadn't gone on that tour. It wasn't all new information to me. I knew some of it, but it sure was different seeing it and matching places to events and people. And I, I hope You guys who are listening have gotten a bit of that tour in the past few shows. Had maybe your perspective adjusted a bit? Many years ago, I had a similar perspective-changing tour given by Ray Bakke in Chicago. I was living in the city at the time, and just a few hours with Ray changed what I saw. Really? That street means that much, and that happened there? Wow. When you get next to experts, your perspective is likely to get threatened. If they really know their stuff, like Ben knows his stuff, you will see things differently, maybe hear things differently, and perhaps even feel things differently. On the plaque on the old building you walk by says, Within a few feet of this place, John Rogers, John Bradford, John Philpot, and other servants of God suffered death by fire for the faith of Christ, 1555-56-57. It gives one reason to pause. Just tell me you don't believe something, and I won't burn you to death. What do you believe in strongly enough not to give in to that? Yet almost invariably with perspective growth comes nuance. Nuance is very underrated. Life is so much easier with black and white perspectives, good, bad perspectives, righteous, sinner perspectives. Surely I may be wrong. But I suspect that some of our propensity to wanting things that way is because it's easier. The king is good. The queen was bad. Royalty is all bad. Presbyterians are good. Catholics are bad. Churches are filled with hypocrites. You get the point, don't you? Life, people, and churches aren't easy to put in a box with all connected very successfully. It's a mixed bag. Churches are a mixed bag add time to the equation it gets even messier someone who was really bad can end up being really good and someone really good can end up being a scoundrel you know how i can prove that look in the mirror amen see that person all good nope all bad Amen. Nope. we need a lot more nuance there's one a long time ago who said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Mm. It was Jesus. Mm. Nuance. You bet. And there's another man. His name was Leonard Ravenhill from Leeds in Yorkshire, England. And he once said, Jesus did not come into the world to make bad men good. He came into the world to make dead men live. Amen. Now, that's a nuance, and that's worth the thought. For Amen. Church, church, and this is John Bash love someone today and enjoy
0: God, won't you? Well, hopefully that moved you to come back again and share some more stories and learn about the complexities of why church hurts and the good, the bad, and the ugly about church, religion, and spirituality today. With our host, Dr. John Bash. He's a shepherd at Standing Stone Ministry. You can check out that if you want to continue the conversation and learn about all the work they do with ministers in danger of losing their ministry or losing their passion or calling. And if you'd like to learn more about us, just go to churchhurtsand.org Tell us your story. We'll share it. Just as Ben Burger today shared some amazing stories about the amazing grace and people in our past. Come back and join us again right here in Orange County's only community radio station, octalkradio.net. And if you're in London, check out christianheritagelondon.org.